All right. Um, next week, too, we have a, a, a few more baby dedications and, I think, a baptism next week. So, uh, so be sure and be here next week. It's going to be jam-packed. But during our time together, here's what I've been asking uh, Jesus to do, what I've been asking the Holy Spirit to do as he moves in and out of this place and, and speaks to us. I've been asking him uh, to do something which might be a little bit scary for us. Because I've been asking Jesus to stretch us beyond our limits. Particularly, I've been praying for Jesus to show us more of who he is. But now here's the scary part. I've been asking him to do that not in the places where we already agree with him. Right? Because that's easy to be stretched. What I've been asking Jesus to do for us as a congregation is to, in many ways, hit us head on in the places where we disagree with him. In the places where, if push came to shove, we would admit that Jesus is just too much for us. Now let me ask you, have you ever been in a place where something was too much? Right? Have you ever been a parent with the children all day and your spouse is gone, they get home and it's like tag team wrestling? Right? It's their turn. Tag, you're it, I'm out. Right? Target, here I come, like park, outside, hike, somewhere, right? Anybody ever done that where it's just too much, right? Right? Maybe if you're a student, right, you've been in a situation where your parents have been too much, right? Where, where maybe they're having bad days, they're asking for stuff out of you that you just don't have the energy or patience to give, and so maybe parents are too much. Has work ever been too much? Right? Anybody ever been overwhelmed at work? So we know what it's like when something is too much, right? But here's what we're going to see today. Has Jesus ever been too much for you? Right? Has Jesus ever been too much? What happens when he is too much? What happens when who Jesus is, like the very core of his character, who God is, is too much for us to handle, right? right? What if his mercy is too much? And, and he is kind, right, to the people we detest. How do we handle that? What if his justice is too much and he disciplines those that we dearly love? What if, what if his forgiveness is too much and he pursues those who don't deserve it? What do we do when Jesus is too much? How do we respond when Jesus asks us to love those we don't like? Right? What do we do when Jesus asks us to discipline those we love? What do we do when Jesus asks us to pursue those who in our mind don't deserve it? Well, here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see a couple of options in our text today. We're going to see an option of what it looks like when Jesus is too much. And we're going to see an option of what it could look like if Jesus can't be too much. If Jesus isn't too much. So, with that, go ahead and open up to Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. Um, as you're turning there, I just want to kind of cap catch up where we are in Mark. Um, we've seen Jesus do a lot of teaching this last week of his life, right? And when you go through the gospel of Mark, you hit a lot of bing, 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 and then all of a sudden time slows down 
where we see his last week of his life leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. And during this week, we've seen Jesus do a whole lot of, of, of teaching. We've seen him teach about the future. We've seen him, him show us what faith looks like in a, in a nameless poor widow. Right? We've seen him confront all kinds of religious leaders with the truth of the gospel. Well, let's see how these religious leaders respond to his teaching. Because in them, we're going to see one of the reactions to when Jesus is too much. So let's look at chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It says, it says uh, it is, uh, let's see, it is now two days before the Passover and the feast, or it was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth, him being Jesus, and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Right now, as we've seen, Jesus has been doing a lot of his teaching in Jerusalem, right? He's going to the temple a lot and he's doing his teaching there. What we see here is that the time of year is Passover. Now, here's what's interesting about Jerusalem during Passover. Typically at this time, the city would have about 50,000 people in it. During Passover, because so many people came to Jerusalem, that number increased to about 250,000, right? Kind of like Asheville during leaf season, right? If you go downtown, there's a whole lot of people there that weren't there before, right? Right? And so, so this is kind of what Jerusalem is like. It is packed, and it is full, and there are people everywhere. And during the Passover, people would come to Jerusalem to worship. They would come to Jerusalem to pray and to celebrate and to listen to the word of God being taught. And then you add on to the fact that people have heard about this new teacher, Jesus. They've heard about this, this teacher who would stand up to the religious leaders. They've heard about this teacher who, who, who encourages people to care for the poor and to trust God in situations and environments where it may be foreign to them to trust God. They've heard about this, this teacher, Jesus, who, who for some seems to be too much. And so they're coming to Jerusalem and this teacher is there. And Jesus is there. We've seen Jesus tell the Herodians, right, who, who wanted to please Rome and please God, he told them, just please God, right? We told, we, we, we've seen him take the Sadducees, this little small group of, of elite um, theologians that only, that only read and believed in the first five books of the Bible, and they believed that was the true word of God. And we've seen Jesus, and they prided themselves on that, that they know the true word of God. And we saw Jesus tell them they don't even know the scriptures. We've seen him tell everybody to beware of the scribes, the professors of, words, of, of God's word, because they were more concerned about looking important than doing the important work of loving others. Right? And all of this was too much for these religious leaders. All of this, in all of this, Jesus was too much for them. And, and, and what they came to Jesus for, they wanted, these religious leaders wanted Jesus to affirm them. And he, they wanted Jesus to pat them on the head and say, you're doing a good job. They wanted Jesus to be on their side. But he kept showing them there's only one side to be on, and it's his. And so instead of getting affirmed, they got rebuked. And we see that their reactions here is they wanted to arrest Jesus 
and have him killed and killed by stealth because they knew if they killed this up-and-coming preacher, 250,000 people that had descended on Jerusalem would be after them. And they didn't want that. They didn't want the rebellion. They didn't want to lose the control that they had. But here's the deal, y'all. What we see in these religious leaders is what you and I are tempted to do when Jesus is too much. Now, it's what you and I are tempted to do when Jesus is too much is kind of the final step. We're going to see what builds into that. But, but here's, here's where when Jesus starts being too much, here's where we can end up. That when Jesus is too much, we start canceling the truth of God. And really, we start canceling that not only for ourselves, but for others. And, and, and are y'all, like, you're familiar with that word cancel these days, right? Because a lot of people are being canceled these days. And I think some for just reasons and some for unjust reasons, right? I've seen, I've seen people be canceled. And this is from adults, it's from students, it's from anybody you can imagine. People being canceled, right? Because of the fact that maybe they're different from other people, right? Maybe, maybe they, they act odd right? This is unjust. And, and, and by canceling, this is what I mean. Like, like, canceling is when we decide to ignore someone because they are doing what's morally wrong. Even worse, sometimes we decide to ignore someone because of what the crowd thinks is morally wrong, right? That's what makes this cancel culture pretty dangerous. And, and, and people do that for unjust reasons. Now, they also do that for just reasons, Right? Because of my job, because I am a pastor, I am in a world with other pastors, and so often, too often, I hear these stories, and sometimes of people that I have met, sometimes people that I, I know, right, where they have lost their jobs and they have been canceled because they took this, pow- this, this position of leadership as a position of power and have exercised abuse on people in the congregation. Whether emotional, whether physical, it's sometimes in in audacious, horrible cases, and sometimes sexual abuse to those in the congregation. And y'all, I need you to hear me say, I think it's just to cancel them, at least for a season. To give victims space to heal, and to give them space to learn what true repentance is and to set up a system of accountability so that it doesn't happen again. Like that is just. That is not what these religious leaders are doing. They are unjustly trying to cancel out Jesus, right? These church leaders want to do more than just cancel him and like delete his social media profile. They want to kill him the ultimate form of canceling, right? They want him dead. And in the midst of this, we get to see this this picture of what it can look like for us when Jesus is too much. Now, here's the deal, y'all. I know I'm talking to a church crowd. And when I said when Jesus is too much, y'all are like, "Mm mm-mm, not my Jesus. No, no, no. (laughs) Then you don't know him that well. Because Jesus, by his very nature of God, is designed to push you where you don't want to be pushed. 
and to make you disagree with him so that you will see the wisdom in his way and eventually agree with him. So if you feel that welling up in you of this idea, my Jesus can't be too much, I'm going to ask you for the next few minutes, just silence that for a little bit and listen to what happens here, right? Verse 3 says this. Are you all with me? All right, verse 3 says this. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, I want to stop at Simon the leper a little bit because here's what we know about Simon the leper. We know his name is Simon, and we know he probably had leprosy at some point. (laughs) That is all we know about this guy. We can assume that his leprosy has been healed Right, Because he's not an outcast in the city, he's having dinner at his house. We can assume that Jesus is the one who healed him because this is what you do when Jesus heals you, is you invite Jesus and his people over to your house for dinner. right? And that's what we know about Simon the leper. All right, let's keep going. Chapter 3, I mean verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Right now, so here we see this woman stepping into the scene of these religious leaders trying to plot to kill Jesus, stepping into this dinner party, right, where the disciples are there with Jesus and they're having a good time, and this woman steps in. And what we see in her is this, this like extreme, extravagant act of worship. Because we'll see a little bit later that this alabaster flask was worth 300 denarii. Now here's the deal. And, and well, I, we don't know, right? We, we, we don't even know. Like if you ask somebody what the dollar was valued five years ago, they, I don't know, but it's a lot less than it is now. You know, like, like imagine 300 denarii. But here's the deal. Mark gave us a reference. Because in Mark chapter 6, we can see that it would take 200 denarii to feed 5,000 people. We can see that it would take 200 denarii to feed 5,000 people, which means that whatever this amount of money is, it is big. And this jar that she broke with the fur perfume in it was bigger than that. It was 300 denarii, which would at least be a year's wages, right? But as I was reading about this alabaster flask and trying to figure out what it was, it was also interesting because people talked about how this alabaster flask was most likely a family heirloom. Something this expensive you just don't go down to Walmart and get, right? It's something that had been passed down from generation to generation or it's something that she shaved up her money for to be able to pass down to generation to generation to generation. So not only was this alabaster jar expensive, it was also this, this, this family heirloom. Right? It could have been her inheritance that she wanted to pass down to her kids. It could have been her, her retirement account, so to speak, right? Her security for her future. If it was from her, her great grandmother and, and mother and, and, and grandmother and mother, then it could have also been reminiscent of her entire life. The, the fragrance in that jar could have reminded her of grandma. Right? And so this, this, this one jar, right? She broke and she poured over Jesus as an act of worship. Right? And in this one verse, we see her do something in this, in this extravagant act of worship. We see her take her security, 
for her future. We see her take the provision for her present her present because she could have sold that and made a year's wages on it. And we see her take this family memory, her heritage from her past, and we see her break all of those at the feet of Jesus. Right? We see her break the tie to those things in this act of worship. Now, let me tell you something about the heart of God here. Mark leaves this woman unnamed. We don't know who she is. Some commentators think this is Mary because we see Mary do something similar in other gospel accounts. But remember, this is Jesus according to Mark, right? And Mark left her unnamed for a reason. Not so we could figure out who she is, but because when ancient writers leave someone unnamed, they're actually inviting you into the story. They're inviting you to see her with with shoes that you can walk in. See, by Mark leaving this, this, this woman unnamed, he's inviting you to step in her shoes. He's inviting you to be like this with Jesus, where she can't, where Jesus can't be too much. Yeah, right? But he's inviting you to be in her shoes. He's inviting you to be her. And so this passage is not only a warning, but it's also this invitation to be a person where Jesus can never be too much. And through Mark, we see that to be like her, we get to take our past, our present, and our future and pour them out to Jesus in worship. We get to take the things that we are tied to in our past and pour it out to Jesus' worship, right? The things that, that, that bother us about our present, we can take that. So, 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 so what bugs you, right? Like, like when you, let's talk about the past, right? What, what haunts your memory about your past? What regrets do you have? What we see in her is that Jesus can take them. Right? What bugs you about your present? What leaves you unsettled today? Jesus can take it. Right? What worries you about the future? Jesus can take it. You see, let him take it as an act of worship. But before you do, I want to finish the passage. Because here's the deal. That might seem like too much. Well, Mark shows us what happens when Jesus is too much. Look at verse 4. It says, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. So here's this reaction we see to this extravagant act of worship, to do what I think is taking her past, present, and future and pouring it all out to Jesus. Right? The response to this event is that some people there complained and criticized. Right? And this is where it starts when Jesus is too much for us. As we find it more comfortable to complain and criticize than we do to worship. Now, this is, happens all throughout the Bible. When Moses was leading the people of Israel from, from Egypt to Israel, do you know what, if they had a t-shirt with a theme on it, do you know what it would have been? We're going to complain, right? We're going to complain about Moses. We're going to complain about the food we eat. We're going to complain about the water we have. We are going to complain. 
And what they did is what we see here, that they complained about Moses' leadership. They didn't complain about God. No, 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 we're church people. We know better than that. But you, Moses, we can take issue with. You're not doing this right. And being a leader, like, I get it. Moses never led a group of people through the desert before, right? There's a lot of opportunity to get things wrong. And it's what I love about our scriptures is we see where Moses got it wrong. And we see his heart of repentance and and going back. But there were people there that always complained. But their complaining wasn't about God. It was about this act of extravagant worship. They didn't complain about God. They didn't complain about Jesus. They complained about her. And how much money she could have spent that on to give to the poor. You see, when Jesus is too much, this is where it starts. We complain about the people of God. We know better than to complain about God, but we will complain about the people of God all day long. You know, I've heard it said that the, the church, I, don't, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Right? And I heard somebody's response to this that I think is very bold. I don't have the boldness to say it. They say, you're right, and there's always room for one more. Like I said, I haven't said that. I see the humor in it, and I see the humor in it because it's true. Yes, we are a group of people who are hypocrites because we're imperfect, and we want something better for ourselves, and we try and live in that, and we fail. That's why we have Jesus, because he's there to meet us in the mountaintops and the valleys. You know, here's the deal. Sometimes church does have issues, and so I'm not up here saying don't ever complain, right? Sometimes church leadership needs to hear about the issues. But when someone complains and criticizes the church, just so you know, what I start listening for too is are they dissatisfied with Jesus? Has Jesus been too much for them? And it's just hard for them to to wrap their heads around that. And so instead, they will wrap their heads around criticizing the church. Because there is a difference. You see, if criticism is accompanied with prayer and a solution, it's often been a thought-through, prayed-through criticism. And it's something that leadership needs to listen to. But if something is just complaining for the sake of complaining... And there is no solution. There is no them wanting to be part of the solution. It's just them telling church leadership that something is wrong and y'all need to fix it. That's probably more indicative of someone where Jesus is being too much for them. Let's see how Jesus responds to this kind of criticism. Because I know I'm talking a lot about church leadership. And really, I'm not being defensive. Like, this church has been great. Right? Like, like we, we have a very healthy culture. But I've seen a lot of churches that don't. And I know they're not watching, but still. (laughs) But still. I think it's important for us when we're in those environments where we feel like we're being unjustly criticized to see what what Jesus does here. Look at verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could, and she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And so here's here's what Jesus does. 
is he, is he takes these criticisms from their attacker and Jesus defends her and reframes for them what just happened, right? Because he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? You know, in essence, your problem is with me, not with her. That's defense. But then he reframes it and says, what you think was wasteful was actually one of the first acts of worship from someone who got what I'm about ever did. Because he says, when she poured this out, he uses a specific word that is what you do when you anoint a body for burial, right? Because when people died back then, they didn't mummify people, and so they would, they would drench their, their body, and they would drench these wrappings around them in fragrant oil so that the body wouldn't smell. And Jesus said, what she's doing is she's anointing me with oil for burial. In other words, this woman, this unnamed woman, was the first person that understood that for Jesus to fulfill his mission, he needed to die for our sins so that he can be resurrected. And so Jesus took these criticisms and reframed them so that they would understand what she is doing, all right? Let me say something about this whole poverty thing, because I'm going to be honest with you, not that I'm, I'm not ever honest with you, but, but, but like when Jesus says you'll always have the poor with you, I want to confess something to you. I have actually thought that in the sense of why try to work with the poor? Why try and eliminate poverty? Jesus said, we're always going to have the poor with us. Here's what's interesting about that. I seem to have forgot the rest of that verse. Because what Jesus also said is that any time you can do good for them. In other words, where my heart wanted to be to give up because the task is too big, Jesus didn't say that. He said, right now, they've got me, so this makes sense. But you, you are to always care for the poor. Because sometimes the church is all they've got. So, for whatever that's worth, if that's popped through your head sometime, just confess that with me and we can move on, right? Because Jesus said, anytime you want to do good for the poor, do that. We've got food that we're putting together here. We've got a food pantry out here that people just walk by and take. We've got food that we give to families in, 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 in this area that need the extra support. That's what that food drive is for. So, so bring food and, and help us fill up the, the food pantry, right? But there's one more person that we need to see, kind of the famous one. Uh, whose reaction to Jesus being too much is the one that has gotten a lot of press. Verse 10 says this, And then Judas Iscariot, who was uh, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to, betray, to betray, in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money and sought an opportunity to betray him. And so this event with this woman doing this extravagant act of worship, pouring out her past, present, and future before Jesus in worship, that's when Judas said, I'm out. I'm out. Some gospels say that he's the one that said, man, this money could have been given to the poor. The point is, right, he said he's out. Jesus, you're too much. You would accept this kind of worship? That's just too much. Right? And so what he did is he left because he wanted to see Jesus gone. Now here's the progression that we've seen, at least in the order that, that makes sense, right? When Jesus is too much, the first thing that happens 
is we complain about the people of God. Right? That's those people that we saw at Simon the leper's dinner party. Then in Judas, we see that, that we leave the people of God, and then ultimately we start canceling the truth of God, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others. Now, here's the deal. Some of you might be on this path. And let me tell you, it is not a helpful path. It's not helpful for you. It's not helpful for the church. It's not helpful for those around you. And there is a better way. If you find yourself complaining, right? Again, there are issues every church needs to see and hear about. But take your complaining, take your criticism, wrap it in truth, and ask Jesus where you can be part of the solution. Because maybe he's highlighting that to you because he needs your help in doing this. He needs you to be the one to help fix this. So pray, pray. If you feel like leaving the church, like not just Fellowship Asheville, but I'm talking about the church. If you feel like leaving the people of God, then this one is a little bit harder because I'm going to ask you to humble yourself. There is no group of people that is perfect, right? Neither are you, neither are us. We, neither are we. Humble yourself, right? Find a church that teaches God's word, points you to Jesus, and deal with the fact that you're going to be around imperfect people trying to do the same. If, if, you have progressed further along and you feel like it's time to cancel God's truth in your life and the life of those around you, then for you, I just ask you to repent. I ask you, and repent is this biblical term that means you're going this way. Repent means I'm gonna start going this way. And to trust Jesus. Because there really is no one better. Right? You can look at all the other world religions and nothing compares to Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. But maybe, here's the deal, maybe you're like someone we forgot about, really. Y'all remember Simon the leper? Right? All this is going down at his house. Right? And all we know is that it was his house. But, but what that means is that he was there. And so maybe you're in this position where, where church is this place where you are present but quiet. Right? Maybe church is this place where, where you are, are observant but you are passive. I'm not, I don't know, I don't want to get too involved, right? Might ask too much of me. With, for you, for you then, there's this better path that Mark is asking us all to take. And it's this, are we open to letting Jesus be more than we think he is? Are you open to Jesus being too much for you? Can we meet Jesus in those places where we disagree with him? Right? I know y'all have been sitting here listening, right? But, but let's respond to that. Are you willing to let Jesus take you to places where you disagree with him and his word? All right, five of you. Great, that's great. No, church, are we willing to let Jesus show us the truth? Yeah. Are we willing to trust him in those places where we disagree with him. Okay. What was it you said? Jesus, help us find a church today. 
right? Right? Are you willing? Church, are you willing to trust Jesus? Are you willing to trust him when you disagree with him? All right, that's, that's a little more like it. I can work with that. Because I am too, and let me tell you, it is scary, scary. But it is good. It is good. And so maybe it's your past, maybe it's your present, maybe it's your future. Let's be like this woman who I think was one of the first people, if not the first disciple, to truly understand Jesus' mission. And let's lay out those things that hold us Let's lay them out to Jesus in worship. Let's pray. Jesus, you, um, you, you are. You're, you're, you're worthy of our past, our present, and our future. You're worthy of our regrets, our, our anxieties, and our, and our worries. And God, I ask that you would be too much for us. And that we would respond like this woman and we would give you more in worship, more, more things to, 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 that we realize are tying us down. We would give more of those to you and we would trust you to deal with them. And I pray for us as a church that we would experience freedom in that, that we would experience your mercy and your truth and your grace as we do that. And you would grow us as a church to trust you more fervently. In Christ's name I pray, amen.